0: Welcome to the Back to Blue podcast. I am Naka Kondo, lead editor for Back to Blue, an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation on Ocean Health. We're very excited to have completed our inaugural Global Plastics Summit in Bangkok in mid-October. Hundreds of people have gathered to discuss what we need to see happen at INC3 in Nairobi. Today, I'm excited to welcome two guests, Winnie Lau, Project Director for Preventing Ocean Plastics at the Pew Charitable Trusts, and Margaret Spring, Chief Conservation and Science Officer at Monterey Bay Aquarium, to discuss some of the key outcomes of the Global Plastics Summit and their outlook and recommendations for the INC3. So starting from you, Winnie, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and for making all the way to Bangkok It was great to see you on the panel strengthening the role of science and evidence in the treaty. What has been your impression of the summit so far? I would start off by saying it was science that
1: was a big component of getting us here to the negotiation process. And science will continue to be crucial for informing the negotiations going forward, as well as how the treaty will be implemented and updated as new science becomes available.
0: So what has been the movement within the scientific community, I guess, to kind of the emergence of, you know, this plastics treaty? I think we're aiming for 2024 for this plastics treaty to come all together. Has this galvanized any sort of movement or a change in mentality, I guess, amongst the science community to communicate the science to negotiators who may not necessarily be scientists themselves. Yeah,
1: so one of the things that has come out of scientists wanting to be more involved in the treaty negotiations is a scientist coalition that's been formed and has been attending the INCs. But one of the things that has come out of that is that there is no formal process for scientists to engage in the process and to inform delegations. So right now it's somewhat ad hoc. So who can the scientists actually reach out to and who delegations may know to invite them to speak with them? But there isn't a formal process for requesting information that is shared across all delegations, and nor a formal channel for scientists to share information synthesis that they've done with delegations.
0: I think it's really important to hear from the scientists, I guess. For example, when I think of plastic as one thing, and I I don't know how to differentiate the different, I guess, types of plastics and different impacts different types of plastics would have on human health, for instance.
1: It's not a single molecule or one single polymer. It's many classes of different materials.
0: The Global Plastics Treaty, I think, is now putting more emphasis on some of the harmful substances like the different chemical makeup of plastics. And I guess without the science or the knowledge of the science around this, there really is no way that we could be having a sensible and meaningful negotiation. I remember you mentioning today on your panel about having an equal and fair playing field to have a proper and meaningful negotiation. So how can we, and also the science community, um, make this happen?
1: Yeah. So one of the things, as the other panelists mentioned, is to set up a mechanism for formal engagement of the science coalition. So a mechanism where information can be requested of them by the INC secretariat, by delegations through the INC secretariat, for example, and then for the scientists to be able to distribute the information that they have synthesized to all of the delegations, either in written form or maybe through webinars. Because if we have negotiators come into the meeting with really different understanding of the science or definitions of what is being talked about, I think that is going to lead to a negotiation process that either can be very chaotic because no one is actually speaking the same language Or you could come to an agreement with very different understanding by different delegations. And then when it comes time for implementation, it could lead to a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, And delegations may feel that they've been misled. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we want to be in that situation.
0: So there are many hurdles to be overcome. I'm sure we're already making progress. And, you know, that's why we're here today but then there's a lot more to do. Are you cautiously optimistic about the treaty or what is your general sense and outlook?
1: It's funny you ask that. I was just talking to one of the delegations today and we were talking about whether we were optimistic. We were all saying we have to be optimists because if we're not, how are we going to get it done? It may or may not meet the timeline, but I think we have to start from a place of optimism so that we can drive all of us towards meeting the goals that we've set forth.
0: Wonderful. Winnie, thank you so much. Uh, That's been really interesting. And I think it helped us deepen our understanding of this topic. And next, I would like to invite Margaret Spring, Chief Conservation of Science Officer at Monterey Bay Aquarium. Thank you, Margaret, for coming on to our show and also coming to Bangkok. Thank you for
2: having us, all of us who came to Bangkok. It was wonderful.
0: I understand you are a part of one of our panels that discussed the role of science in the treaty alongside Winnie. You are the lead in facilitating our workshops on the impact of plastics on health. What are some of the key takeaways and impressions of the summit? Well,
2: thanks for asking, Naka. I came to the Economist Summit, obviously, because This is a very important topic. I represent the International Science Council at the treaty negotiations trying to bring expertise to the discussion. And the opportunity came up when we were speaking at INC2 and a number of us thought that we had not a lot of time between INC2 and INC3, which is coming up next week. And so when the opportunity came to talk about many of the issues that were bubbling around at INC too, but we didn't have enough time, it was a great opportunity to go to Thailand and to meet there. My impression is there was a very Pacific flavor of the meeting. There were a lot of key leaders there, not only from the Pacific region, but from the INC process itself. And I really enjoyed the interaction among Delegates, scientists, practitioners and industry groups, and of course NGOs, the way we were able to mix and talk openly around a many of these questions and topics without the pressure of the negotiations and This is the type of thing that at the Monterey Bay Aquarium we do to help people relax a little and think and talk. And I felt that that the Economist Global Plastic Summit did help us achieve that goal, which is to meet each other, understand where they're coming from, and then explaining and understanding how close we are and how aligned we are in a number of topics, but areas where we need to work more together.
0: Thank you. And from your perspective, what are some of the crucial gaps that need to be filled in order for us all to reach the ambitious 2024 target for a Global Plastics Treaty?
2: So, yes, the number one issue we have to address is the goal of the treaty, which is to protect human health and the environment and end plastic pollution within a time certain So what we have to do in this treaty is identify how we're going to stop the flow of plastic into the environment and into people. And the people part of this is terrifically important because of much of the new information and science coming out about the potential health impacts and the known health impacts of chemicals in plastic. So the number one priority from a number of our perspectives is to establish a baseline and targets for reduction, not only of leakage of plastic but also for production because as we heard in the meeting no matter how many ways you model the scenarios you must reduce the sources of plastic production as well as reducing leakage so that is job number one job number two is to ensure that the criteria that are set to protect health and the environment are science-based and informed by the independent science and that was something i spoke about And also recognizing that we know enough now to establish some of those rules, perhaps not all of them. And the third is to ensure that there's a just transition, as well as addressing legacy waste, which was a very high concern to many of the Pacific Island nations who were there, and certainly in many vulnerable communities around us, whether it's in the United States, Africa, or elsewhere. So it's a big job. And the zero draft that was issued by the secretariat of the treaty discussions had quite a few gaps in it. The good news was that it had uh, placeholders for a lot of important things, including reducing production and addressing problematic plastics and protecting human health and addressing waste management. There were a number of elements that were in there. I think The challenge is filling in the gaps, filling in the blanks with the best information we have today and codifying that in a binding legal treaty or agreement by the end of 2024. Many of the details of how we'll get there will probably be discussed for after the signature of the treaty. But the important thing is to get the basic rules of the road right, to make sure that businesses can compete on a level playing field, that greenwashing is not an issue that clarity exists for consumers so they understand what they're using, what the health risks are, and how to manage that product through end of life. Importantly, it means producers of not only the plastic, but the plastic products will have to be both legally and financially responsible for addressing what happens with that product. And that was a very deep area of conversation, and it's complex, but it's very critical to equity in this treaty because most of the impacts of plastic on the public and the vulnerable communities are not borne by the producers, but they're borne by communities and people and children. That equity piece is very important, and the entire life cycle of plastic has got to be included in the treaty. It's not only a waste treaty. It, It must deal with the means of production. And that came through clearly from everyone. And there was an earnest interest in trying to figure out how to do that. And what might be alternative materials? And also, how can we innovate quickly so we can move fast? Because a number of countries have set 2040 as the date to end plastic pollution in the environment. That's not far, so we have to pick up our pace.
0: I'm aware that you're flying to the INC-3 in just a few days. What are some of your expectations going there?
2: Well, this is a very important meeting in Nairobi. It's very far away from many of us you, and a lot of people are going. It's almost 2000 people. and It tells you how important it is to everyone that we get this right. This is an important meeting because it'll be the first one at which we review the zero draft and discuss what the options should be in the next version. The exciting opportunity is that there'll be an early meeting where all the observers and the delegates can speak about what they like in the zero draft and maybe what more needs to be put into it and priorities. The other thing that we hope and we expect will come out of this meeting, not only is an update to the draft and an understanding of where there's strong support and where there needs to be more attention is also an intersessional work plan so that a number of these issues that require more time can be worked on by experts in technical groups or informal groups, before the next meeting in Ottawa in April of 2024, which is also a critical meeting. So we hope to see what I would call a science roadmap that delegates and particularly the Bureau, which includes a number of important countries such as the United States, but also Japan, will call strongly for a plan of action so that work happens in a measured way and in a prioritized way to allow for some key decisions to be made on the elements and the objectives, and also the criteria and the annexes for reduction; Those are important pieces of this. And what the scientific community who was there were saying is that we need to be part of that. We are here to help, but we don't want to delude you with large reports. We want to hear the questions you have and we will help you understand what we know to help you make decisions. So policy relevant, but not policy prescriptive science. And so what I'm hoping that we will have is a very strong statement from these bureau members, which is the governing group uh, treaty that will recognize that these countries that don't have a lot of technical support are in need of that and that experts should come together not only at the global level, but in regional groups, which I heard very strongly to help with the solutions faces and the issues that are particularly of concern to those regions. There are a lot of issues that we need intercessional work for. The first tranche of intercessional work should be the most important things to get right, which I think are the health-based criteria. And then there'll be a second pathway between INC4, which is April, and the next one in South Korea, which will be later in the year in the final meeting. It's an extraordinary amount of work that we have to be had, but I am encouraged by the fact that not only are the science groups organized and ready, But also there are groups like the World Health Organization, the chemicals experts at the Basel, Rotterdam and Stockholm, secretariats, the International Labor Organization is very concerned about worker health. They have actually put a lot of thought and effort into bringing their views into this treaty, which means that it's not just the people that were in the room, but there are a number of other expert groups that can help move this forward perhaps on an informal basis as some of the formal groups come along. And I think the challenge for us is that many countries only have two delegates. And countries like mine have multiple delegates. And so you can't have too many of these intercessional processes going at once without overwhelming people who really need to understand the treaty.
0: Thank you, Margaret. Thank you so much for your valuable insights. And I hope you have a great trip to Nairobi. I'd like to thank our wonderful speakers again. Winnie Lau, Project Director for Preventing Ocean Plastics at the Pew Charitable Trusts, and Margaret Spring, Chief Conservation and Science Officer at Monterey Bay Aquarium. And thank you for listening. Back to Blue, an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation are hoping to spearhead a coordinated global response to marine pollution and design a roadmap by 2025 to close the marine pollution data gap. To learn more, download our discussions paper, The Zero Pollution Ocean Call to Close the Evidence Gap. Do visit our website at BackToBlueinitiative.com.